Thank you so much, uh, worship ministry. That was awesome. Enjoyed singing those songs, old and new, and what a powerful name. The name above every name, Jesus. Thank you, Kristen. And I know uh, Jerry and Jana, y'all are proud of your daughter to hear her. You know, they told me, they said you were the second reason they came today, Kristen. Your, your babies, your children were the number one reason, you know. Something about grandbabies. How many of y'all have grandkids? Anybody out there? God bless y'all. Ashley, talk with our daughter, babe. We got we to gotta get this thing moving on, you know. I, I want to have some, some grandbabies here for... Don't y'all just love my apparel? I know you do. I know you're envious of it. You wish you all could be an Auburn Tiger, but... Um... Ashley, come here just a second, babe. Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just recognize you here for just a moment now. My wife and I get along most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but once a year and only once a year do we have these big fusses and fights. And uh, Oh, my word. Oh. Alabama. Love you, and, yeah, roll tide. All right, good. Fred, Erickson, Eric. You know, our chairman of the deacons is a graduate from the University of Alabama, Fred. And Fran is as well, his wife. He also flew over 250 missions in Vietnam as a fighter pilot. And he flew with the Thunderbirds. I don't know if many people know that about our man, Fred Erickson. God bless you, brother. We appreciate you. Wow. Well, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord, Stu. I could not agree with you more, brother. God is up to big things, great things in our church. And I'm so excited about this message God has given me to share with you today out of the book of Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles, I would go ahead and invite you to turn with us to chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10 in a message entitled, The Good Hand of My God. It's a, it's a title taken. I just extrapolated it directly out of the text, the sacred scripture, The Good Hand of God. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 2, we're still somewhat embryonic in the Genesis moments of this series of messages. So if you're new to Great Hills, you're a guest, uh, welcome. God bless you. Come on in and join us. Uh, We're a Bible-teaching, disciple-making church, radiant church that wants to honor God through the teaching of His Word, being as faithful as we can to it, speaking the truth in love, and that's my passion, that's my desire, my spiritual gift of proclamation. I love being able to teach God's Word to you, and I love my church family, even even though we're different. I mean, some of you have got all sorts of backgrounds and teams that you're pulling for. But we all fly and run under the banner of King Jesus. So I'm glad that you're here today. And guest, if you would, before you leave, seriously, we would love to meet you. And in the, um, the worship guide, there's a little sheet of paper, as Stu said. Take it, fill it out, and hand that to us. My wife and I uh, will be in the back. <laughs> Our worst argument ever. We were dating over that stinking Auburn-Alabama game. I still remember that. But we've made it 30-plus years, and uh, I have to eat a lot of humility because they do win most of the time, Alabama. Uh, yeah, let's go back to teaching God's Word. All right, amen. Bad thoughts, bad thoughts. Okay, so some of you are like, well, 25, brother, it's been 2,500 years. I mean, come on. What can a man in Jerusalem teach me in 2017? Over 2,500 years ago, we're, we're looking at a guy by the name of Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. He was dutifully employed by the king of the world. Really, King Artaxerxes. He led the most powerful nation in antiquity. I mean, the Medo-Persian Empire. 
that began with Cyrus in 539 and reigned for many, many decades. And now we pick up the Word of God, the text, which I love the Bible. It's not uh, fable, it's not myth, it's not make-believe. It's really rooted and grounded in historical data. And where we find Nehemiah is about 444 B.C. He is a cupbearer for the king, and he, he feels God is leading him to do something great. He, he believes in his heart that God wants him to remedy a situation that's going to take him about five months to get there. And so he lives in Persia, and he's got to travel for about four or five months, make his all the way, all the way west, almost to the Mediterranean Sea. He's going to go to Jerusalem, which is his homeland, his hometown. His place was decimated and destroyed by the what were known as the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylons, really, they, they destroyed, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem in 586 and deported, took the inhabitants of Jerusalem and put them in a foreign land. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel was part of that group that was deported. And Nehemiah's family was deported. And so here we are, 142 years removed. And Nehemiah believes that God has spoken to him and God wants him to do something that is so large, that is so great, that unless God is really with him, he is destined to fail. And so here he goes in chapter 1. He, he prays. He says, God, I, I need you. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. Any of you ever feel that way? And Lord, I, I just really can't make this marriage work on my own. God, unless you step in and intervene in my marriage, God, it's going to be destroyed in my job, Lord. I know I'm not called to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, but Lord, I am called to go and provide for my family. And Lord, it's tough right now and I'm having a hard time. And God, I'm asking you to empower me and strengthen me. Your Lord's school is a mess. And, and God, I don't, I don't, I don't know really getting all of this. And I don't really know what you want me to do with my life. And I just want y'all to know, guys, that same God that called Nehemiah to do the unimaginable, to do the unthinkable, is the same God. That loves you and he will empower you to succeed. The thing is, the key is to know God and to be in relationship with him and to hear from him and then step out in faith, knowing that God is sovereign, that God is in control. So he goes before God. He asks God, God, help me, please. And then after he moves out of the court of the heavenly king, he enters into the court of the earthly king, Artaxerxes. And he says, uh, sir, I, 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 I need to go home. I need to go back to the people of my heritage and I've got to go back and do something great, but I need your permission. I need you to release me, to give me a leave of absence so that I can go. And we pick up the text and this is what happens. Then the king said to me, now the queen was also sitting beside him. How long, Nehemiah? How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that's the Euphrates River, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And, O king Artaxerxes, would you also grant me a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to do the following things. There are three things, church. I want you to notice this. We'll talk to you about timber in a few moments, lumber, and how important it was for these three projects. Number one, timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, number one. Number two, give me timber for the city wall. 
And number three, give me timber for the house that I will occupy. And the king, he gave it all to me. He granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And then I went. Nehemiah said, I left. And I went to the governors in the region beyond the river. And I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Verse 10, it shifts the the narrative, the story. it, It really takes a turn. It says... When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed. They were angry. They were so angry that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So we pick up the story, and I love preaching narratives, uh, portions of Scripture where we can... You know, go back in time and understand the Sitzen Laban, understand what the Germans would call their situation in life. And then as the Holy Spirit who wrote this book and inspired this book, the same Holy Spirit comes within us in this room and he illuminates our minds so that we can go back in history and study and learn and explain. And then the Holy Spirit begins to apply to our lives what it is that God wants us to take away today. Here, here's, here's the takeaway I want you to get today. I want you to walk away today going... Lord, it doesn't matter how hard it is, you are still good and I will win. I want you to take that with you today. And you fill in the blank and you let the Holy Spirit just fill in the blank. Whatever it is, times are hard, God is good, trouble comes, but in the end, we win. And Father, I just want to stop right now and I want to pray that prayer. Lord, I pray for the person who really just had to be here today. And it's not an accident that she made it today. And Lord, you you moved mountains for her to be here. And Lord, for him, whoever he is, God, he needed to be here today. Or the person who's watching online as we broadcast live or later on on television, God, whenever they see it, Lord, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus that you would touch, that you would speak, that Lord, words of life would flood in on barren souls. Rivers of life would flow over those parched, dry, bone areas of life. God, please. Lord, unless unless you move and unless you do something, we're in big trouble. There are families in trouble. There are jobs, Lord, that need to be had. And there are there's a country, our country, Lord, that needs help and needs to be brought back together. And so, Lord, we're, we're asking you to do the impossible. But God, I thank you with you, all things are possible. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So the things I want to share with you today, and I just prayed my outline of my message today. Number one, our times are hard. Times are hard. And I want to, you know, just kind of recapitulate and summarize how the hardship came about for Nehemiah. And then we're just going to segue right into America today. And times are hard. They were hard then. They are hard now and they will be hard until Jesus comes and reigns and rules and makes everything okay. Times were hard for Nehemiah and here's why. In chapter 1 verse 3, some ambassadors from his homeland, one of them, Hanani, his own flesh and blood brother, came with a detachment from Jerusalem and they said, Oh, Nehemiah, man, things are not good. I mean, the city is a mess. It lays, It lies in ruins. The protective wall around the perimeter of Jerusalem 
it has been destroyed. You knew that, Nehemiah. 140 years ago, it was decimated and destroyed. There were a group just a few years ago who tried to rebuild the wall, but that was squashed and that, that was put down almost like a rebellion. Was it, was it destroyed? And so, Nehemiah, our city lies in ruins. The wall has fallen down. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, The province there is in great distress. We are a byproduct of reproach. People are laughing at us. The wall is broken down. The gates are burned with fire. It is a mess, Nehemiah. Times, times are hard, which led him to go before the king and say, O king, if it pleases you, grant me favor. In verse 5, I ask you to please send me to Judah. Watch this. The city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. In verse 6, it says that the king is there and the queen is with him. That, that's probably Damaspia, D-A-M-A-S-P-I-A. She was the queen of the Persian Empire when Artaxerxes was the king. But it uses a different Hebrew word to just say queen. So some theologians, some commentators I read said it wasn't literally the queen. It was one of his top harems or his concubines or whoever it is. She's sitting there with him. And it's not a feast because whenever they had a feast or a banquet, the king would always sit alone. The queen would never sit beside him. So get this, get the picture here. He has an audience with the king and the king and him only and the queen or his chief harem or concubine. Whoever it is, that lady is sitting beside the king. Nobody else is in the room. And he goes before them and he makes his plea to ask if they could go back and do what he believes God put it on his heart to do. And he says, if it pleases you, let me go. And the king says, okay, go. And in verse 6, he goes, but by the way, when are you going to come back? Now, that tells us a lot, doesn't it? Because whenever your employer wants you to come back, that's a good thing. He misses, he will miss Nehemiah. And he's asking him, can you give me a time frame? When will you come back and be my cupbearer again? Because, you know what, they, they have developed this trust, this bond. It would have been so easy if Nehemiah wanted to kill the king. He really could have killed him, could have poisoned him. Because he tasted the wine before he passed it on to his majesty, to his royalty. But he says, when will you come back? And then Nehemiah says, well, I gave him a date. Now, it's interesting that Nehemiah will go on to serve as the governor of Jerusalem for 12 years. But I don't think he told the king, hey, it's going to be 12 years. He doesn't do that. I think what some writers believe that he said, basically, it's going to take me a year to do what I need to do. And that's true. It takes him about four or five months to get there. It takes 52 days to rebuild the wall. And then he says, I'm going to come back. And I think that's what happened. I think he comes back to Persia and then he eventually goes back and he is the governor of, of Judah and especially of Jerusalem. Times, times are hard. He, he, why else would he leave a good paying job, a job that provides very well for him? It's a prestigious job. Why would Nehemiah leave all of that and go five months into what he knows is going to be a very difficult time. Times were hard, but God raises up people to meet the challenge. And he's, he's raising up Nehemiah. By the way, times are hard here. We are a divided nation. I don't know if anybody's noticed that or not. I don't think we've ever been this divided since uh, Vietnam, Fred. I really don't. I, I don't. I don't think we've ever seen so many protests, uh, so many... 
angry people with this polemical vitriol of rhetoric and hatred and, and uprisings and anger. And, and it's like our... Yeah, I, I don't know if you voted for him or not. I, I, I think he genuinely wants to do the right thing and, and to help our, our nation and try to protect our, our nation. And, and yet, man, it's just like you, you, you can't do anything. And it was just like his predecessor. Whatever Obama wanted to do, there was a whole other group that rose up against him. And now this guy's in charge and lots of people are rising up against him. And I'm just saying, where, where does this end? Where does this stop? Where does a nation that is divided, where does it stop? Do we fall from without? Probably not. But can we fall from within? Yes, we probably can. When, times are hard. I don't, I don't know if y'all noticed that or not, but they're hard nationally. And then we have this refugee crisis going on in our world. And I want y'all to know something, guys. This is a crisis. And I'm all for protection, and I'm all for the law, and I'm all for the rule of law. I'm all for a wall. How about that? But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm for people. I'm for people that hurt. And if they get over here, I want to help them. I want to minister to them. We've got 12,000 refugees in Austin alone. And... We have a hope clinic. Praise God. Many of you signed up to help out with that hope clinic to help those. I don't know, guys. I don't know what God's doing to me. But he's talking to me like, what are you going to do about it? Have any of y'all been asking that? I mean, you see these, these people being annihilated. And many of them are followers of Christ. And, and I know it's in Syria. I know it's in Iraq. And I know the refugee crisis is, it is horrific. And, and, and Europe is being overgrown with, with refugees. And it's like God's. Ask me, he says, what are, what are you going to do? Well, I cannot not do anything. Yes, I've sent money, and praise God, my wife and Spencer's, we're, we're about to go over there in a few months. And I'm going I'm to teach refugees. I'm going I'm to get to disciple some of these guys who've come to faith in Christ, left these war-torn areas, and I'm going to get an opportunity to, to disciple them from... And I'm grateful to God I get to do that. And, and you say, well, brother, then God bless you. I ain't going over there. And I, I don't know if God's calling me. Listen, God's calling you to do something. Sharon Edwards, God bless you in our church, taking up offering for blankets for children in Syria. And I don't want to go to heaven and God say, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you do anything? Could you not at least prayed for them? Could you not have gone? Could you not have said something? So I am. And and I'm hesitant to say this. I don't know if I can do this. Y'all forgive me if I'm making a big mistake, okay? I'm going to tell you something. And y'all say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard you say. But I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to run in the Austin Marathon in a couple of weeks, okay? And I'm going to run for the refugees. That's what I'm going to do. And, okay, thank you. But I'm also going to preach that day. So don't, don't try to figure that out. Just, it's in two weeks. I'm going to run the Austin Marathon, the 26 mile. And I'm also going to preach at Great Hills. Don't, don't ask me how I'm going to do that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm going to, this is weird. To ask people to give me a dollar a mile. And I'm going to take that money and, and use it for refugee ministry in in that country that I'm going to. So I'm going to do that. So if you want to, you want to support that, you do that. 
times, times are hard, but man, every times are hard. God always has a plan and God's going to raise people up to do something. I'm, something you know, my heart goes out to, to students today in, in colleges and universities. This is something else I want to say, and then I'm going to, I'm going to move on and get really into the meat of the text with you. But, you know, I read an article this past week. Thank you, Mike Miracle, for sending it to me. Dr. Al Mohler, probably the premier theologian in evangelical Christendom today. And he said, we have so created an atmosphere in the colleges and universities in America that we've made it impossible for young people to believe in God. Think about that for a moment. Now, I get the sovereignty of God, and I know God's going to do what God's going to do. But humanly speaking, we have created an atmosphere. And he takes us back. He says, before the Enlightenment, in the 18th century, 17th century Enlightenment, probably maybe a little bit before the Enlightenment, he said it was an atmosphere of belief, of theism, and almost everybody believed. Every, almost everybody believed in God. Then comes the Enlightenment, and rationalism is man's intellect and rationalism is exalted, and the supernatural dimensions of God in the Bible are devalued. And so we've gone from everybody believing to, you know, some believe. And now, Dr. Moeller says, we create an atmosphere in America today on our colleges and universities that you are, you're in a position where it's impossible for you to believe. Because all you hear is the goddess of evolution and the God of secularism and the God of hedonism. And so God has been so, mm, let me tell you something. Whenever that happens and it looks like, oh man, we're in trouble. God always does something. So just watch this. It may be on our colleges and on our campuses and, and, and all those riotings and all that fervor and all that anger and all that rhetoric. It would be just like God to touch a man to touch a young woman, set them on fire for the glory of God and a whole nation come back into fellowship with God. God can, God can do that, by the way. Times are hard, I get that. But can I just tell you this? Can I tell you this? God is still on the throne. God is still, God is still good. So times are hard. I, I wanted to share that with you, but I couldn't wait to get to point number two. Thank you, God, for point two. Here it comes. Verses 7 through 9, God is good. Nehemiah, he prefaces his request. Now, I want you to get this with tact and with artful words of diplomacy, okay? He said, if it pleases the king, that's so good. By the way, there's a way to say things and a way not to say things. And he, he, he captures it when he says, with diplomacy and tact. King Artaxerxes, if it pleases you, then let letters be given to me. For the governors. Now, watch the goodness of God, okay? Watch this. Watch the provision of God in verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, uh, let these letters, the, these would be sealed with royalty. The king of the Medo-Persian Empire would seal a letter and say, whatever this guy needs, you give it to him. He's going to pass from country to country, from border to border, and he is going to have a free pass. And it's signed, sealed, and delivered by none other than the king of the known world. And God has granted that to our man, Nehemiah. He has the good hand of God upon him. So he comes up to this kingdom and he goes, and they're, they're there at the border saying, well, who says that you ought to come in? And he goes, well, the king said I could come. And they're like, well, come on through, you know, come on. And then he says, well, King, while I'm traveling, I know I'm going to need some wood. So would you give me timber for the following things? And, and could you give it to me from Asaph 
the keeper of the king's farce. How did he know that? How did Nehemiah know that? This man has done his homework. He has meticulously planned out when he's going to leave, how long he's going to be there, the people he'll need to meet, the timber that he will need to do the following things. Number one, when you read that in your Bible, maybe go back and make a note of this. When it talks about, give me timber for the citadel that pertains to the temple, here's what that is. That was a fortress. That was a fortress located at the northern edge of the temple precinct. There was a little fortress there, a citadel. It had been destroyed. Nehemiah says, King Artaxerxes, I want some timber. I want to build this fortress back up, number one. Number two, he says, give me some timber for the wall. Now, that's why he's there. The primary reason that he's going is he's like, I need wood to build this wall. Would you give it to me? But number three, this one's really interesting. In his verse eight, when he says, and give me timber <laughs> uh, for the house I'm going to live in. You know, y'all know what he's asking for? He's asking to be the governor of Judah. He wants a... He wants a house. He wants a place. He wants the governor's mansion. And I think Nehemiah's basically going, why don't I just ask for all of it? Well, the worst thing he's going to say is no. Remember a few weeks ago we said, ask. It'll be given to you. Seek. You find. Knock. The door will be open. open. He says, hey, and king, where are you at? It? Maybe, maybe under his breath he's thinking, well, my will never give me this. Well, how about some, how about just make me the governor of Judah and put me in a nice house and I'll just, how, how's that? And the king says, okay. <laughs> how about you going into your boss tomorrow, Monday morning, and saying, I'd like a $10,000 raise. Uh, and the boss said, well, how about 20? I said, wow, thank you. Now, don't get any wild ideas tomorrow, all right? Don't, then you come back and get mad at me, all right? Hey, listen, if God's in it, you'll win it. You ever notice this, that God always provides what he guides? God provides where he guides. Okay, so he needs, he needs timber. He needs lumber for all of these things. You say, why would the king grant that? Well, let me give you a scripture that will help you understand that. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the channels or the rivers of water, God turns the heart of the king wherever he wishes. Now, that's a great text when you're studying Nehemiah chapter 2. And you can't understand why a pagan king would be so gracious and benevolent, be so generous to our man, Nehemiah. The reason he is, is because God is pulling the strings. God is orchestrating events for the benefit of his man and for the benefit of his people. When God's hand is on you, you are unstoppable. You know, I'm thinking about him, but I'm also thinking about Joseph, thinking about David, I'm thinking about Ruth and Boaz. I'm thinking about Esther. I'm thinking about these heroines and these heroes of the faith. And, and there's our man, Nehemiah. He's right there because the good hand of God is upon his life. One writer says this. He says, and it applies to us too. As we go forth to serve the Lord, we have all authority of heaven and on earth behind us. So we don't have to be afraid. The important thing is that we got to go where God sends us and we got to do the work that God has called us to do, end of quote. That's a good, good word. Another writer says this, and this is Chuck Swindoll, and I love him. He says, for four months in the solitude of his prayer closet, Nehemiah had faithfully bombarded the throne of God. Lord, send me to Jerusalem. Change the heart of the king so that I can go. Give me the green light. And Nehemiah had no doubt about the reason for the turn of events. When the Lord has his hand on his appointed leaders, it's like a sweeping wind as people are moved to respond. The Lord's hand 
was upon Nehemiah, and off he went, excited as he could be. End of quote. I wonder, I wonder if Nehemiah ever questioned the goodness of God while he waited on God for the green light. I wonder if he ever said, God, where are you? And you know why I bring this up? Because I know. I know there's some of you, one of you in particular, you've been looking for a job for weeks and for months. And praise God for you. I know who you are. You know who you are. And, and I know there's a part of you that want to go, God, what are you doing? All I want to do is provide for my family. God, why don't you give me a job? I know some of you are battling. You're battling for the very soul of your marriage. You say, how do you know this? You know who you are. I talk to you. And you're battling for the soul of your marriage. And you're like, God, where are you? God, I, I believe you've given us this light, this favor. And, and Lord, why don't you come through? I wonder if Nehemiah did that. I'm sure he did. You know why? Because he's human. I wonder if there were times when he was just like, God, I mean, it's four months. What is the deal? I mean, the city is destroyed. Lord, why are you making me wait four months when I got to go? And it's like God says, just, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. And I was reading just last night, and I put this in my sermon last night, and it goes like this. Oftentimes, when we think we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, we are precisely in the right place at the right time, according to God. So you may be thinking, well, I've blown it, or I'm messed up. I shouldn't even be here in this city. I shouldn't even be here in this church. I shouldn't even be in my job. I'm not sure if I even should have married that woman for heaven. Say, no, 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 listen to me. God guides our steps and our stops. He's a good, good father. I'm championing the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. God is on his throne. He's got you. No, 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 you. And you and you and me, he's got us. And he is the one that's going to put us exactly where we need to be. And when his time is right, and what you ever notice, he's never early. Amen. He's never late. He's just right. And when the time is right, I mean, hell itself cannot stop Nehemiah. Nehemiah is on a roll. He's going to rebuild the wall. It's the same with us. When God opens the door, nobody can close it. When God closes the door, nobody can open it. And that's Revelation chapter 3. There it is. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things. He who is holy and true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and nobody shuts, and he shuts and nobody opens, I know your works. This is Jesus. Remember this? Talking to the church at Philadelphia. See, I've set before you an open door. Nobody's going to shut it. You've got a little strength, but you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. I'm, I'm going to tell you all a story. I, I, I don't know if I should wait and tell this or Daniel is, is Jessica, is she here today by any chance? She's back in Dallas. Okay, this girl shared her story with us. And when I thought about the good hand of God, I literally... As I heard this girl's story, Jessica, a graduate of Dallas Baptist University, she said, I was raised in a home. My dad is a deist, my mom is a Wiccan, and my brother's an atheist. That's my home. 
Some teenagers, when I was 15 years of age, invited me to come to church. And she said, I went just because I wanted to make fun of them because now I'm an atheist. And then with tears in her eyes, she said, and I destroyed the faith of many because I was smart and I was gifted and I could argue. And with tears in her eyes, she said, I destroyed people's faith. I was that girl. I was that atheist. At 15 years of age, kids invited me to church. She said, I went to church and I just laughed and made fun of them. And I went home. She said, they invited me back. And she said, I was looking at my home life and I was thinking, ain't nothing here. I'll just go back. I'll go back to the church. And when she went to church, she said, I could not tell you what the preacher said. I cannot tell you what anybody said, what they looked like. I can't tell you any of the music that I heard. I can't remember anything, but this one thing I remember. Good night. When I, when the pastor said, is there anybody here? Just broken. Anybody here that that needs forgiveness, that needs the love of God? She said, all I knew is I found myself at the altar and I was standing at the altar. She said, I don't know how I got there. And then she said, I felt a hand upon my back. And I was sitting there listening to this and she was sharing this with our staff on Monday. I said, well, that's a sweet story. Some sweet godly woman has come and put her hand on her back. She said, I turned around and there was no human being. There was a hand on my back. Resting on my back and I looked and there was nobody. She said, freaking me out. And she said, all I could feel was love. All I could feel was forgiveness. All I could feel was acceptance. And a lady in the church came and led Jessica to Christ. The good hand of God. I'm praying that the hand of God that was upon Nehemiah... The hand of God that was physically, literally pushing up against Jessica would be the same hand of God that would rest upon you and you would know that God is good. I got one more thing I want to share with you and some of you are going to argue with me on this, but you're going to lose. You're going to say, why why bring point three? Why can't you just stop with point two? Point three is trouble is a coming. You're like, man, just end with good. Let's, it's, it's 12 o'clock. Let's just end with good. Well, let's just be realistic. Trouble comes. Trouble came in verse 10. After verses 8 and 9, after, you know, Nehemiah, I mean, he is floating on the clouds, on the mountaintop, and God takes him right down into the valley. And here are the valley guys. His name is, how in the world would you like your name forever to be recorded in Scripture? And you were a nitwit. You know, you're a knucklehead. And here he is. Sanballat. I want to say the hornet. The Horonite. By the way, he's from Beth Horon, which is 18 miles north of Jerusalem. He is the governor of Samaria, by the way. If you want to just put that in your notes. Sanballat is the governor of Samaria. And then his little cohort, his little buddy, Tobiah, is an Ammonite, which they have a history of arguing and fighting with Israel, and so do the Samaritans. You with me? These two guys heard that I was coming, and they did not throw a party for me. They were absolutely, I mean, devastated and upset. The Hebrew word is an interesting word. It's the word yirah, and it means to be bad, to be evil. They thought of evil toward me. And here's what I'm thinking. I think Sanballat 
hates the Jews. You go back to the Jews and the Samaria. You talk about racism. You talk about hatred. It, it started in 722. This is 444, friends. It, it's on. I think Sanballat, he wants to be the king of Jerusalem, the governor of Judah. I think him and his buddies, they, they've got this thing mapped out. And as long as the wall is down, then Jerusalem is exposed to the elements and they can step in. And so here comes Nehemiah and there's pride, there's anger, there's jealousy. And that, my friends, is a recipe for disaster. And trouble comes to our man, Nehemiah. And I think, well, God, <laughs> why, 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 why do you even let these guys come on the scene? God, why don't you just zap them out of heaven and just remove Sanballat and Tobiah and just make it a little bit smoother for Nehemiah? But that's just not how God works. God lets us come into contact with the sandpaper of our bosses, the difficulty of our colleagues. Man, I'm meeting with a group of guys on Thursday mornings. We're having such a good time of fellowship in the Word of God and Proverbs. And we break up into small groups. And a couple of guys in our group are like, you know, man, a couple of bosses, man, give me get some hard times. Kind of like sandpaper. And we, we pray. And I don't necessarily pray that God removes them from the situation. I pray that God teaches them everything He wants them to know in the situation. But isn't this not real to life? Isn't verse 10 just like life? Times are hard. God provides. Then times get hard again. What's up with that? Why can't times just be easy? And why can't... Listen, listen to this. Is God... Is He any less good when times are hard than when times are good? No, no. God is good. God is faithful. God is sustaining. And I know, Ashley. I know it. I've got to lift this, and it's hard for me to live this sometimes because, I mean, when things are going good, man, I'm praising the Lord. When things are, when things are hard and things are crashing in on me, I, my hair starts turning gray, and it already gray gets more gray. Hallelujah. And I start getting fearful and worried, and, and God is like, don't do that. Know where that comes from, by the way. If you're walking with God and you're trying to do great things for God and you all of a sudden you get fearful, you get worried, and your mind just starts running off in a million directions, that is not of God. That is of the evil one. And rebuke it in Jesus' name and remember all the good things that God has done. So, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. I love you. I, I know you're out there. A- Anthony, no? What's your name, brother? Huh? Anthony, I told you. What's your name? It wasn't a word of knowledge. I had lunch with him. That's how I know. People say, man, it's like sickum to a pit bull for a preacher, you know, so... Y'all blame Anthony for going overboard, me going over. No, no, I'm just being real with you. My wife, she sat me down this week. She goes, if you get overwhelmed and you start thinking about a million different things, that's not of God. Know where that comes from. And then when you start being worried and fearful, think about all the good things that God is doing at Great Hills instead of the challenges that are before us. Y'all need to put her on the payroll, by the way. (laughs) She... He puts Humpty Dumpty back together weekly, so anyhow. 
Please, you don't need to answer this out loud, but I, I do have to ask you this as I close. What has God said to you? What has God told you today? Knowing Him, He said a lot. And knowing you, you're going to have to believe Him. I don't understand all the miraculous, marvelous ways of God. But this much I do know that before there is a resurrection, there is a crucifixion. And before there is a crown, there is always, it's preceded by a cross. And some of you are in the valley and the crosses of life and the troublesome and the trying and the difficult times. And I just want to come alongside you. I want to remind you of something that maybe you've forgotten, and that is the goodness of God. That God can be trusted, that God loves you. He still, he still has you. And Mark Batterson's right. I mean, he was preaching to me last night when he says in his book, he says, just when you think you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, you're in the absolute right place at the right time. And God is going to do wonderful, miraculous things through you and through me. First of all, has there ever been a time in your life when you gave it up, when you just said, Lord, I give you control of my life. If, if you have not done that, can I invite you to do that today? You say, well, what does that look like? What that looks like is when you quit becoming Lord and Jesus starts becoming Lord. And it's the coolest thing. It, it, you just say, God, I'm sinful. I can't do this deal on my own. I give it to you. Would you help me? Would, would you come? Maybe some of you would just come and you would stand like Jessica. And who knows? You may feel, you may feel something leaning upon you. And you may have a sister or a brother in Christ come alongside you and just pray. In fact, I, I promise you that's what will happen. It may not be the, the physical hand of God, but somebody, the hands and feet of Jesus will come up to you and we will pray for you. We will encourage you in your walk with God. But finally, and here, here's, the, here's the kicker. Is there something that God wants you to do and you are fearful but you know in your heart of hearts that God wants you to do it. Glory to God. You are here today for, him, for me to say, then go for it. Move forward in Jesus' name and do what it is that God has put it on your heart to do. Help save your marriage. Help, help with your job. Help with your family. Help in your church. Help in your company. Help in your nation. Help with the refugees. Whatever it is God's telling you to do, go in Jesus' name. Do it. Man, I'm with you. I don't want to die and go to heaven and, and God say, well, come on in. And say, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I gave you those gifts. I gave you those abilities. Why didn't you, why didn't you invest them in this or in that? Oh, All right. That's what I'm doing. God, thank you. I believe in my heart that you're speaking to some somebody somebody's and lord there is a destiny there is an epic narrative waiting to be written lord a novel that's going to be one for the ages not written with ink but written with her testimony and with her life and lord i want to be the first to give you praise for that and i thank you oh god 
And Lord, I thank you that you're a good, good father. That's who you are. You're perfect in all of your ways. And Lord, even when times are hard, and they are hard, God, I, I don't understand. I don't know where all this is going for our country. I know times are hard and trouble comes. But whoo, thank you, Lord. You are good. You're sovereign. You have not stepped off of your throne. You, you are eternal. You're the, you're the omnipotent God of the universe. And we just reaffirm our faith and our trust in you as a, as a people, Lord, as an individual, as a church. And so, Lord, I am praying in the name of Jesus that you would, you would encourage, Lord, that bewildered, that hurtful soul. And you would infuse her with your divine power, O oh God, and remind her that you're the God who created her. You're the God who is on her. You're the God that's going to use her to do great things for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, I pray. And I also pray, God, for him. Lord, you would touch him. God, help him be the man of God you've called him to be. God, let him rise up and let him say, we're going we're gonna to go for God. We're going to go big for God. And come on, family. Come on, honey. Come on, kids. We're, we're in this thing and we're going to do whatever it is God wants us to do. And it could be, could be that God uses you. Change a city, change a nation, maybe change the world. I don't know. But Lord, help me be obedient with these refugees. Lord, what is it you want me to do? You want me to raise money and go? And then let me help me do that. Help me not get hurt between now and the race so that I can run this race. And I can, I can just do my little small part. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You ready to stand and sing? And some of you need to come. Come to the altar. Come and pray. Let somebody pray with you. Let somebody encourage you. I invite you to come even now as we, as we sing.